Hey everyone, and welcome to the CGOA podcast for March 2021. My name is Mark Steigner. I'm the Artistic Director for CGOA. And this month we have a really special talk with Tom Grant, the great piano jazz legend from Portland. Uh, Tom has played with a lot of great musicians over the last 40 years, released over 30 albums, and remains a force in jazz piano here in the Northwest. I know you're going to really enjoy listening to him. Uh, we talk a lot about his career and his music making during the pandemic but mostly we're talking to him because he is the featured entertainment for our upcoming first ever virtual auction fundraiser which happens from april 8th through 11th and you can see a preview of some of the amazing items we have up for bid by going to charityauction.bid slash cgoa and you can see what we're going to be offering and uh, kind of salivate and think about what you'd like to, to bid on. We have lots of art. We have services. We have experiences. We have food. We have wine. We have things like the opportunity to conduct the symphonietta in a concert. We have a brand new work commissioned uh, and performed by one of the ensembles. Lots of really exciting stuff. That's April 8th through 11th. And we're going to have a program on YouTube hosted by Elaine Thompson and Joe Garut, highlighting a lot of the items that you can bid on. And also, again, featuring entertainment by Tom Grant and the CGOA Jazz Collective Big Band. So make sure to mark your calendars for April 8th through the 11th and make sure that you bid on some of those amazing items or just donate. Okay, before we get to the interview with Tom, just a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and maybe you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash CGOA, and you get lots of interesting monthly uh, extra items like the video version of the podcast, curated musical playlists, uh, all sorts of things, whatever I decide to, to put on there and, and take your request. So go to Patreon and become a patron. All right, here is our interview with Tom Grant, and thanks for listening. First of all, for people who don't know you, um, amazingly that there probably are a few, tell us, give me like a three-point bullet point bio of Tom Grant. Okay, well, now that, now that you've mentioned that, I'm I got to bring out my, uh, where is it? Oh, no, come on. Most people don't know me. I have a record called You Hardly Know Me. And, mm -hmm. oh, here it is. Mm -hmm. And I have Tony Williams plays on one track of it. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. That's that's the record. You hardly know me. It's my that was my second record in life. <laughs> wow. I have I have 30 albums now. I know. Yeah, it's, you're pro prolific. <sighs> so you asked me a question and. Well, oh, yeah, I said, give us like a, a, a oh. elevator size uh, Tom Grant bio. <laughs> OK, uh, well, I started out. Uh, let's see. I started playing the piano when I was very young, four years old. My dad taught me how to play a, a little song on the uh, on just on the black keys because that was all I could handle at that age. So I started young, took lessons. I took from a really good jazz teacher here in in, uh, in Portland, and uh, his name was Gene Confer. And and then the next thing was uh, I was going to high school and college and. Uh, uh, thought I was going to be a, uh, anything but a musician because my parents tried to steer me away from it. My dad had been a, 
a tap dancer, a vaudeville guy, and uh, yeah. he just thought that that, that wasn't the, the, the good life for, uh, for me. Uh, anyway, they passed on kind of young, and then uh, after, I, oh, I joined a band, and we, we uh, toward the end of my college time, and we went down to uh, L.A., and uh, just floundered around there. We, we had a record deal, but nothing happened. We, we were kind of a, a pop band with big vocals, uh, sort of modeled after the, uh, uh, the mamas and the papas a little bit, that sound. Anyway, I came back, I, uh, that, was a, that was a bust. Uh, I played in a, we played in a dive bar down there for, for a while. Anyway, came back to the Northwest, got married, uh, what did I do? I finished to, to get my degree and my master's degrees. And then I went to uh, uh, being a teacher, a high school teacher for three years. I was a high school teacher. Then I played a gig in, in Portland on the weekends. I lived up in this small town, Mill City, up on the uh, San Am River. And uh, I... I uh, I was coming into Portland every weekend. I started playing, I played a couple of gigs with Ron Steen and uh, we became friends. And ultimately uh, the turning point of my life really is I credit Ron Steen with this. He called me when I was living in Mill City and said, you got to get out of there and, uh, you know, do your, you know, what is your, what seems to be, you, you know, your, uh, I can't think of the word for it, but uh, uh, what, what you were born to do. <laughs> and that is play your chosen music. path. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this should, this should be your chosen path. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that conversation was pivotal. So I, uh, after the school year, my wife and I moved up to Portland and I started playing gigs. Uh, Ron and I played with, a lot with Jim Pepper. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. Not sure. who that is. Yeah. Saxophone player, Native American mm -hmm. saxophone player. Mm -hmm. That was very, that was very important in my life. Uh, and we played at a, a place in Portland called the Helm, H-E-L-M, Ray's Helm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were there off and on over the years. Later on, uh, I had a band with Ron and with, without Jim. And uh, so I started getting a little following and I started getting more gigs and, uh, and then Ron and I were playing in a nightclub uh, one day, one night, uh, we were playing after hours and this trumpet player named Woody Shaw, uh, he was like a kind of a, he had, he had a, a big name for a short while and then he died young and he was kind of a cr poor crazy guy. And uh, anyway, he saw us playing and he hired us to, I mean, he was already a recording artist on Blue Note. And so he had some, uh, he had some credentials and, and we went up and did a gig up in uh, Vancouver, BC, I believe. That was the start of things. Then the next thing, his buddy, Joe Henderson, the saxophone player who was, uh, you know, winning all the downbeat awards and stuff. Uh, Joe hired me and Ron uh, to tour with him. We, we toured Europe. We, we went around the United States. That was my first major gig. Uh, 
we we toured all, all over Europe, uh, and uh, we we met some cool people, and uh, and little by little, then I came back to Portland, played, and then I got a call from Tony Williams, the uh, drummer, mm-hmm. and that was probably the most influential gig I had because Tony was was a force, and he was a visionary also. Uh, he was always ahead of the pack uh, as far as, I mean, a- after he played with Miles Davis, he transformed Miles' band and, and Miles trumpeted, uh, <laughs> to coin a, a term, uh, Tony's value in his band and kind of modernizing it and taking it into new places. Mm-hmm. And that gig for me with Tony was the most influential uh, and the biggest change in my life. <clears throat> And uh, that went on for a couple of years. And, uh, and then I, I uh, little by little, I started getting my own stuff together. Like uh, I, I, I did an album with Joe Henderson in Europe. That was my first record. My second record was the one I just showed you, uh, You Hardly Know Me. And then, and then in 1983, I did a record just called Tom Grant. Uh, and it had the, the uh, jazz cat um, cover on it. I don't know if mm-hmm. I should go get I'll, that. I'll do an insert later, Tom. We can add that in. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Uh, and that started a career for me. That, that record got lots of airplay. It was on the charts, airplay charts, anyway. Not sales charts necessarily, and uh, and and that was the start of things. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> I've had thirty records in my career. You know, that's the short version of uh, how I got to wherever it is that I am. <laughs> yeah. So here's a question that we missed something in there, which is how did you go from the Mamas and the Papa style pop group to jazz? Where did that transition oh. happen? Um, yeah. Were you studying jazz before that, or did you kind of gradually make your way into that, or how? Did no, that I, I was I was playing jazz uh, well before <laughs> that. Uh, my brother influenced me, and my and my father. My father was a jazz guy. He had a record store. He was a tap dancer. Uh, he had studied tap dancing in, in Harlem uh, back in the whatever it was, the twenties. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I was a jazz person. I had jazz records. I had heroes like uh, Horace Silver, Thelonious Monk, Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea. They, these were all my heroes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, no, I, I was in, into the jazz thing. But, you know, I, I wanted to see if I could be a, a, like a pop force, a pop mm-hmm. star, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone back and forth with with uh, with that between pop music and, and jazz, but almost exclusively jazz from the from like 1980 on. I was one of the first what they called. And I don't necessarily like this expression, but I was one of the early on smooth jazz artists. Uh, All right. <laughs> for better or for worse so uh you know that that was the style of my recording for no oh, i don't know maybe well every record since 1983 i did i did try to make a uh, a jazz uh, standards record with i did some singing on that that was a bust yeah no that's that's great so let's talk about that 
smooth jazz, uh, almost as a derogatory term, but you know, it, it really <laughs> it isn't. So t how would you define that? I mean, uh, how would you define that style? Okay. Uh, with a backbeat, mm -hmm. uh, jazz with a funky R and B influence in it. And, uh, when, when you listen to the radio stations that play it nowadays, lots of saxophones, mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be the hallmark of it. Uh, I don't know. There, there's there's some great uh, guitar players that uh, are of that ilk, uh, and, uh, and and well, actually, fewer piano players. Uh, so I don't know. The uh, the smooth jazz ear seems to crave that that uh, forever. I don't want to use derogatory terms, but because uh, some of those saxophone players are great, but it has kind of a romantic vibe to it. And I think that's yeah. what uh, fuels the, uh, the big audience that it does have. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an offshoot of fusion, right? I mean, it, it comes out of the jazz it, fusion. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And it, uh, it's more, maybe it's more, it's more melodically based than, you know, improvisatory or more melodic than yes. harmonic in, in terms of its focus, you know? Were yeah, you, were, exactly. You know, there's exactly. that big, there was that big watershed moment where you know uh, George Winston came out with his stuff, and Keith Jarrett on the Curl concert. You know, when he was doing those kind of long melodic improvisation, yeah. was that was that yeah. an influence on you? Were you into those? Oh, definitely. Uh, I loved poor Keith. You you know that he's he had a stroke and stuff. Yeah, right? mm -hmm. yeah. He was a big influence on me. Uh, just his solo stuff, his touch was was magic, and his his ideas were incredible. Uh, yeah, I definitely got into that. I, I was really into ch the Chick Corea uh, uh, Return, to, Return Forever. to Forever band. That that was to me that was a great fusion band. The Mahavishnu Orchestra uh, mm -hmm. was a, a great fusion band. We toured when Joe Henderson took us to Europe. He had uh, oh the bass player from from Mahavishnu, Rick Laird. And uh, so that was as close as I got to, you know, big time fusion. Oh, although Chick Corea actually played, we played a set with Chick. I don't know why it turned out that way, but I, two pianos, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in, in the south of France. So I've, I've met my heroes. And uh, well, you've played with some heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. And recorded yeah. with a lot of great people, for sure. So bebop was never your thing, right? Or you, or no, you I, just... no, I like no, yeah. I like bebop. Heck, mm -hmm. yes. I, I, I love to, you know, play play tunes, familiar tunes, uh, and, you know, solo over them. No, I, mm -hmm. I like it all. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so for, if you were going to tell somebody why not to be afraid of jazz, because, you know, jazz right now, 1.8% uh, uh, of record sales are jazz. I mean, at this point, it's like 1%. Classical music is... <laughs> One percent jazz is one point eight, so it beats it. Out oh my slightly. god! Yeah, it beats classical. It's, it's it's such a niche, right? It's be, it you know from <laughs> no being kidding. the form of American music, popular music in the twenties and thirties, to being the the nichiest of niches now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so how would oh what would you say to people and say you know I'm afraid that's jazz thing is just not. I mean, what would you tell them to listen to, to get over their fear of jazz? You know. I would say go out and, and try and find the, the John Coltrane ballads record. If Great you don't album. like jazz, if you, if you say you don't like jazz, <clears throat> if you say you don't like 
that music after you listen to it. It's so lovely. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, his music was a turning point for me too. Because mm-hmm. the, just the beauty of that sound, and I know what it is that people don't like about jazz. It's, it's like when they get all oodly oodly on, on the saxophone. Oh, I, I, I have this uh, in my car and uh, my Bluetooth, it, it has like a rotation of stuff. And, and, uh, and every once in a while it lands on this Ornette Coleman tune. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, I, I, when I drive around with my friend, uh, Shelly, who's a singer, uh, and that comes on, I'll say, oh, yeah, here's, here's that, song, that song from the record called Why I Hate Jazz. <laughs> because it's just, it's a cacophony of notes. And I, I can hear and I can feel the, the rhythm, which is uh, a big part of, of jazz, you know, just the groove. And I, I, can, I can hear it, you know, where they are in the song and everything. But I can't say that I'd want to have it being being played at a party or, or uh, you know, for uh, somebody's homecoming celebration or something like that. But that that's the difference. Uh, and uh, I don't know. L- listen to some of the great vocalists, uh, Billie Holiday. Uh, you know, I could go down the list. Sure. But uh, that that's what I do because I, I I think. The, the pretty stuff is, is what grabs you by the heart, you know, the, the, the beautiful ballads. So, uh, you know, yeah. keep an open mind. Well, that, that <laughs> suggestion for Coltrane is great. Just make sure they don't start with Ascension or Love Supreme right away. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, you, you stumble can hear... into the wrong Coltrane to begin with, right? Yeah, yeah, right. That would, right. That would be a hard one. So let's yeah, talk... Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about how you've been doing through the pandemic. How Obviously, it's upended your music making right uh, have you been able to quite a bit yeah but what how have you been doing well i i, I kind of lucked into something i, I mean the still is streaming a, a, thing right yes yeah i i do a, a streaming show every wednesday night started mm-hmm. out i just did it in my living room with my phone and and then we started to do twice a month at the piano store here in portland classic pianos they're buddies of mine and uh, with a really good streaming company, Left Door Streaming, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I do every, every first and third Wednesday of every month, uh, I, I do the thing at Classic with Left Door Streaming. Mm-hmm. That has garnered an audience sometimes. Now, I don't know if I dreamed this, but I, I, every once in a while I see the numbers that we do, you know, as far as listeners. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we had a thousand, over a thousand eyeballs on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it's usually less than that. But anyway, that's been kind of a, that's saved my bacon really, as far as not just for money. Cause we do, it's all, you know, people giving us tips and stuff, but, uh, but just for keeping my presence out there, keeping my name out there and keeping my fans who like the music. I mean, I play everything. I play my sure. old songs and then I, I play Gershwin tunes and Cole Porter and, and Bossa Nova. I love Bossa Nova mm-hmm. uh, and, and my original tunes. And that has kind of, in a way, has saved me because otherwise I would just be sitting around here stewing. <laughs> you know, I've, now, I've, I've talked to lots of musicians over the, you know, over the past nine, 10 months. And I always kind of ask them, 
has there been in any weird way a positive that's come out of this for you? And it sounds like, and almost everyone has said that's done what you've done, you know, that they've mm-hmm. been streaming or they've done Facebook concerts or they've done yeah. YouTube, right? That it, in a weird way, it's grown their audience. Or it's exposed them, you know, to a whole nother market that maybe they didn't have before. Yes, totally, man. I I I see that. I have this question is when when you come back out of it, you know, are you going to continue? Are you going to continue doing uh, streaming things like when when you can do live concerts again? Yeah, continue doing that. That's that's something I think about a lot. I don't know is the answer because there's something nice and there's something special about streaming that you don't get. I mean, the, the, the bad thing is, of course, that there's no immediate uh, feedback from an audience. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes when we're streaming from uh, the, the, the uh, piano store, uh, they, they have the monitor out there and I see all the, the, the heart bursts and, and I see names of people that I went to grade school with. And then I see this guy, uh, uh, what's his name, from Russia, Stanislav is his name. He's there every time. And he has to get up at four in the morning to watch us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then people from all over, like in Japan and uh, stuff. So yeah, that, that is a great thing about it. How has it worked with you creatively? Are you more creative, less creative? Are you uh, lazier about doing it? Are you <laughs> still into it? I mean, are you no, feeling like, I think I'm more into it than I have been because I, uh, now I'm, I'm actually working on what should be in my next CD. And I've got a lot of good ideas. I, I think that it's uh, prompted some creativity mm-hmm. that has been dormant for a while. <laughs> but I, you know, it's always been fits and starts with me as far as cre- creativity. And, but uh, again, the, uh, the live stream thing has helped me with that because, well, I get, get a feeling for what people like and you know and they make suggestions these audiences the streaming audiences are very a lot of them are very thoughtful and Mm -hmm. they come up with ideas and they say why didn't you try this and you know they come up with interesting uh, requests and stuff so this this has been great it's kind of the the coming together of two worlds the um the live audiences and then the hardcore nerds that really are into it. And yeah. Wanna, <laughs> yeah. And they want to respond. Right. So it's exactly. We, we, yeah. We get no, it's, I've talked to so many musicians that have really benefited from it. It's been, it's been pretty great. How do you feel like coming out of the pandemic from your fans? Do you feel like people are going to return in droves? Do you think they're going to be more cautious? Do you think they're kind of just happy now staying at home and watching things online? I mean, how, what's your sense of oh, how things I, are going to be back? again i think they're going to just bust out you know from their homes you know i can just see a picture of people busting out of their front doors and (laughs) jumping into their cars and going to the clubs and i think that'll be the initial thing and then Mm -hmm. but for for the long run i couldn't hazard a guess guess Mm -hmm. i really couldn't uh because that that'll cool down i think and then uh, Mm -hmm. we'll see yeah, people have pretty they short do. memories, you know. <laughs> yes, they do. Three years from now, nobody will even mention it. We'll be back to where we were again, right? Hopefully. Yeah, Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, tell us what you're going to play for the... Um, I, I know you're recording this afternoon with John. Great guy. So wh- what are you going to play for us for the, uh, for the concert? Well, I've just been thinking about that today. 
uh, I, I think I'll probably try a, a mixture of, uh, I really like bossa nova. So I might do a, a song that I do often for live audiences, which is one note samba, a Joe Beam oh, yeah. song. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of fun and, and crazy. I, I, I love bossa nova. And uh, I, I, I see kind of two categories of bossa nova tunes, like the really sad ones uh i can't name them now but uh and then uh and then the goofy up-tempo ones that are sort of nutty concepts and that, that's the way one note samba is so i'll do that i'll probably do do a couple of original tunes i have a few that are signature you know i have this one called angels crossing i'll probably do that it was nice uh yeah and it's just solo piano and all, all my records where those tunes appeared had layers of uh, synths. I don't do that so much anymore, but you know, back in the eighties and nineties, I was doing plenty well, that was of the that. that was a fusion signature sound. You yeah, had that to, was a, yeah. You had to have racks thing. of synths, man. You, yeah. Right. What it was all and about. I used to, you know, I, I used to have stuff piled up on the piano, you know, other keyboards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you uh, had to do it. That was that yeah, was what you had to do. All right. Well, man, you know, I appreciate you, you talking to us and um, I'm glad you're doing well. And um, we're all looking forward to seeing your little performance here for our benefit. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it isn't live, too, but <clears throat> I'll be back and we'll do something we'll live for, yeah, for this we'll back. organization. I think it's a, a great cause. Yeah, yeah. We, we've managed to hang in there through all this. We've done about... 40 virtual performances, you know, with different ensembles and stuff. So cool. We kept it going. Yeah. Keep cool. it, keep it, we're all keeping the music alive for a little bit longer. Good, good deal. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. Right. Well, thanks. And I have a nice new piano for it too. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah nice Yamaha. That's great. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Mark, great, great interview. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good afternoon and enjoy recording and, uh, let me know if you have any questions and thank you very much. 